and we're looking at divine healing, I'm looking at foundations, just foundations of the reality that healing is ours. You may have heard them before, but somehow, I believe, as we go through this, there's going to be a permission and an authorization to expect healing that wasn't there before. Somehow, as we go through this, the ability for us to unite together with an expectation that healing is in the house is just simply going to increase. Hallelujah. And so, um, I'm just simply going through the, the foundation. And uh, last week I talked about uh, it depends upon faith. And everything depends upon faith. And I talked about Abraham's faith, and I'm not going to go in back through it, but there was a promise to Abraham and to his offspring that his descendant would be an heir of the world. And Abraham, the reality was that Abraham was... He was old, and so fathering a child was highly unlikely, and uh, to top that off, Sarah's aged body and a barren womb made hope of bearing a child virtually impossible. So what was Abraham's response? Abraham's response was, rather than focusing on the hopeless realities that were staring him in the face, he focused with continued confidence on what God had promised him. That was his focus. He chose to rely on God's power to perform his word, in spite of all physical evidence to the contrary. That's the faith of Abraham. And then he verbally gave to God glory. He verbally gave glory to God by declaring himself to be what he was physically impotent to be. Abraham, father of nations. And so for years, a number of years before he ever was able to father a child, He was declaring, I am the father of nations, I am the father of nations, I am the father of nations. And so Abraham is our father. We are partakers of the covenant and the promises. And so we partake through responding to the gospel of the kingdom, to what God has spoken to us in Christ, with the same faith that Abraham had. It doesn't matter what is staring us in the face. If God has spoken it, if God has promised it, if it's a part of the covenant, we claim it. It's ours, and we walk in it. And so how is Abraham's faith described? He lived his life of faith before God. And how is his God described? His God is described as a God who raises the dead. His God is described as as one who calls non-existent things, even things that from a human perspective can't exist, as though they do exist. That's our God. Abraham believed in that God. Why do they exist? Because he purposed that they should. So once God has spoken it, it's done. The faith of Abraham. Let me just stop for a second. About, I want to talk about letting faith come. We're not trying to work ourselves up to have faith. If I get five scripture verses and I say them enough and I try to mean them, I'm going to have faith. No. Faith comes by hearing heart open to hear, and hearing comes from the Word of Christ. And so when we receive and open up our heart to what God has spoken to us through Christ, and we allow that Word to live in us, that Word will produce faith. How can I let that Word live in us? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Allow the Word of Christ to live inside of you And then just respond to God's grace. 
Just worship Him and thank Him that He is who He he promised to be and He will do what He promised to do. And then just celebrate with Him and rehearse with Him what He has promised. And faith will rise in your hearts. Faith will rise in your hearts. Learn to saturate in the Word. It comes as you listen to teaching and preaching regarding what God has promised faith will rise in your heart. As you're listening to to music that's declaring who God is, it will arise in your heart. Saturate yourself in what God has spoken to us about who He is to us and what is ours in Christ. Comes through a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge will will declare what God is doing right now. Faith arises within your heart. But faith rises up to lay hold of the promise of God. So let faith arise in your heart. Let faith arise in your heart. Let faith arise. Well, I'm supposed to say that a few times here. Let faith arise in your heart. Let faith arise in your heart. Let faith arise in your heart. So what's being said by that is that you have the ability to give permission or deny permission based on whatever your reasoning is to either give permission for faith to rise or not rise. So let faith arise in your heart. Then I talked about living in God's rest. Living in the abundance of His finished work. We were created on the sixth day to live in the seventh day. And on the seventh day, God rested, not because He was tired, but because He was finished. So we were created on the sixth day to live in the finished work of God. In the abundance of that finished work. Not to toil and sweat, not to strive, but to live in His finished work. I went through and and, and showed you from the Scriptures that God taught uh, the children of Israel as He's preparing them to live in the land of promise that they were to live five days a week collecting one one day's portion of manna, but the sixth day collect two days' portion of manna because on the seventh day they were going to rest in honor of His seventh day rest. And what, how were they going to eat on that day? They were going to live in the abundance of the sixth day. In other words, training them, Sabbath is living in the abundance of what I provide for you. Living in the abundance, resting in my finished work. And so he trained them on the Sabbath year. So every seventh year, they were to let the land uh, be fallow, and they weren't, to, they weren't to be pruning the vines, and everyone can just eat from what was left over in the fields and what was there, but they, they weren't working the ground. How was how this possible that they were going to be able to live in the seventh year from the abundance of the sixth year? And so they learned, they learned to live in the abundance of God's finished work. But then he had the 50th year, which came after the 7th, 7th. So now we're going to have the 49th year as a Sabbath year. No plowing the ground, no harvesting. And then we're going to have the 50th year, which is another year of doing exactly the same. How are we possibly going to go for two years if we're not toiling the ground and and bringing in the harvest. And God says, well, I'll tell you what, thank you for asking the question. You're going to live in the abundance of what I've provided. In fact, I'm going to give you so much abundance, there'll be enough for three years. God was teaching them to live in the abundance of His finished work. And then we came to this Scripture. It is finished. It is finished. 
it is finished. And that today there is a reality. There is a Sabbath rest for the children of God where we come and we learn to live in the finished work of the cross. In the finished work of redemption. In the finished work of God's salvation. And we learn to live in the abundance of that finished work. It is finished. Hallelujah. So I want to talk about this word that Jesus declared from the cross. It is finished. It's talking about consummation, the end, the completion of an ultimate goal. The phrase, it is finished, is actually just one Greek word. Finished. Finished. Completed. Now, this word, tetelestai, comes from a root word that that means consummation, the end, the completion. Uh, But did you recognize that word as I said it, tetelestai, that that was a perfect tense passive voice indicative mood? Did you realize that? I didn't either, so I needed some other scholars to tell me. But as a perfect tense, it's talking about past action with the emphasis on the continued effect. The emphasis is the continued It happened, but its effect is ongoing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The indicative mood, it's not a question, it's not a command, it's simply a fact. It's a certainty. It is finished. It is finished. It's a fact. It's a certainty. It is something that was accomplished, but its effect is going on and on and on. And then it's the passive voice. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. It's, it, it has been finished. So the big question is, what is it? Because it has been finished. It's a fact, it's a certainty, and its effect is going on. And when Jesus was on the cross, right near the end, just before he said, into your, into your hands I commit my spirit, he cried, finished! One time the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, you need to get out of here because Herod's going after you. And he said, Tell that fox that I'm going to be healing the sick. I'm going to be bringing deliverance. And on the third day, I'm finishing it. Nobody had a clue what he was talking about. Same word, finished. Finished. But it's because it has been finished, whatever it is, the enormous effect, the incredible implications of it are powerfully at work today. And they will continue for all eternity. It is finished. So what was accomplished? Well, first of all, just all of the prophetic words, and I'm not going to read them through for you. I'll send them out to you in notes. But all of the prophetic words spoken throughout all of the Hebrew writing concerning Him, all of the events that needed to be fulfilled within His lifetime before He declared, It is finished. That's slide number one. All of these events, all of these details had to be finished 
because he came to complete them. But there's so much more. So I want to take you through, it is finished. Hallelujah. What does it mean? What are the implications? What did he accomplish? How does it affect us? I'm just going to start reading. When Jesus died, he had completely revealed to mankind the glory of the Father in human form. He had spoken his words. He had worked his works. He had completed his mission. He had shown God's compassion. He had demonstrated his love. Finished. Jesus had been conceived in the womb, born of a virgin, growing from infancy through adolescence into manhood. He fully identified with our humanity so that he could be our great high priest. He lived under the law and ministered among God's chosen people so he could set them free, showing compassion to the sick and the poor and the oppressed. As a man, he was tempted in all ways as we are, and yet he lived a sinless life. He yielded fully himself to God, learning obedience through the things that he suffered, pioneering the pathway that we would take to glory, and he perfected obedience through his death. He willingly offered himself as man's legal representative and then offered his life to atone for the sins of mankind through his death. I'm going to go through a list here and it's going to be full. You're not going to get it all in one one sitting, but I'm going to go over it. Finished. Finished. It is finished. Jesus came as Messiah to crush the serpent's head, bring blessings to the world, and establish the rule of righteousness and justice. He came to reverse the curse of sin and death. He came to be the sinless representative for mankind, the last Adam, to reclaim man's legal right to take dominion of the earth. He came to destroy the works of the devil, to plunder his dominion, to deliver his captives, to extract the sting of death. It is because of his sinless life, even through the obedience of death, that God has exalted him and made him king and lord. It is because of his death that he has been given the right to judge the earth. He has been given the authority to grant eternal life to all who honor him. He has been given the authority to open the seals, to judge evil, to destroy wickedness, to bind Satan and cast him out, to lay claim to the earth realm, subduing the nations until the kingdoms of the earth became the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ under his unending reign of righteousness. Understand, he gained that right because of his obedience through death. Understand, he gained the authority and the power to deliver because of his obedience unto death and because of the sacrifice of his blood. Your king! Your king! Your king! Your king has won this victory through his death. Hallelujah. Through the wounds inflicted upon his body, the piercing, the bruising, the physical punishment, and the whipping, he fully took upon himself the consequences of man's transgression, the weight of mankind's iniquity, the chastisement to obtain and restore man to peace and wholeness, and the scourging for our rebellion in order to bring about our healing. Not just for us, but for the whole world. Finished. Completed. Done. We live in the abundance of it. Nailed with him to the cross was the entire record of debt for every violation of God's law with all its demands for justice. Animal sacrifices could not remove sin. 
They met the external requirements for temple worship, but they could never satisfy God's justice or erase the record of sin from man's conscience. Couldn't do it. The annual day of atonement, the yearly requirement for sacrifices of the bull and the goat, they were reminders that animal sacrifices were not sufficient, annually reminding mankind of sin. But through his offering, the offering of his life in obedience to God as the atoning sacrifice for man, Jesus' blood has provided all that is needed to set us apart for God, to cleanse our conscience from sin, to make us completely holy and blameless in his sight. His death satisfied the justice of the law, honored the holiness of God, appeased the wrath of God, and ravished the heart of God. God's heart is ravished. It's finished. It's done. Hallelujah. It's finished. It's done. The Old Covenant contained a system of ceremonial law with rules and regulations about washing and purifications, dress and dietary laws. It contained a Levitical priesthood with rules and regulations defining their duties and obligations. It contained rules and regulations about sacrifices and offerings, circumcision, feast days, Sabbath. And at the center of this was a tabernacle or the temple where the Ark of the Covenant rested behind a thick veil, excluding the people from being able to enter in and experience the actual presence and the glory of God. While this still stood, it indicated that the way had not yet been made open for man to be able to enter in and stand holy and without blame before the eyes of God. But through His crucifixion, the tearing of His body and the shedding of His blood, a way was made. Upon His death, the veil at the very heart of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. This is not shears. This is a thick veil ripped from top to the bottom by the very hands of God. The cleansing provided by His blood so completely removed all basis for accusation or blame and thoroughly purged the conscience of man from guilt and shame that it opened a way for man to boldly enter into the presence of God. Confidently and boldly stand before the throne of grace beholding His glory and being absolutely transformed by His presence, by His grace. It's finished. It's finished. It's finished. Understand this, that you have been granted forgiveness, freedom, release, deliverance, healing, and uh, renewal into the image of God, not simply because our Heavenly Father felt pity for us, felt compassion towards us, and just decided to overlook our sin, overlook our rebellion, overlook our iniquity. It could not be done. God's love had to find a way. God's love had to make a determined effort to satisfy His justice, to honor His holiness, to account for the reality of our sinfulness, our lawlessness, and our rebellion. So God predetermined before the creation of the world to Himself enter the earth realm, to take on humanity through His Son, Jesus Christ the Messiah, and then, through the sinless life of His only begotten Son, willingly offering His life to suffer and die. 
through his son's courage and perseverance, through his love and his devotion, through his surrender and his obedience to God in suffering and death, God would once and for all settle the issue of divine justice and wrath and secure our forgiveness and our deliverance. It's finished. It's finished. It's finished did not mean that there wasn't anything, anything left to be accomplished. But what Christ accomplished on the cross laid the foundation for everything that he will yet accomplish. The finished work of the cross is the foundation for everything he will yet accomplish. Everything he will yet do. Finished was his cry as he stepped into the clutches of death. Because of his sinless life and his obedience unto death, death could not hold him. Finished was his cry when he entered into the clutches of death, entered into the darkness of the grave, descended into hell, declared the victory, his victory to the rebellious, took the keys of hell and of death, rose again from the dead because death could not hold him. And he led captives in his train. Hallelujah. Finished. Finished was his theme when he revealed himself to his disciples as risen from the dead, unfolding the Scriptures to them, why he had to suffer and why he had to die and then rise again and enter into his glory. Finished was his cry. This work, this work, you didn't understand it. You left me and forsake me when I went through it. But this work is now finished. Go and proclaim it to the nations. It is finished. It was on the basis of the finished work of the cross that Jesus the Messiah was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and exalted to the right hand of the Father as King of kings and Lord of lords. It is on the basis of the finished work of, uh, of the cross that Jesus now holds those keys of hell and of death. It's on the basis of the finished work of the cross that Jesus serves as our great high priest and stands as our advocate with his blood available to us. Stands as our advocate before the Father. Hallelujah. It is on the basis of the finished work of the cross that Jesus, the Lion of Judah, will be declared worthy to take the books, open the seals of judgment, cast out Satan, vanquish evil, end the reign of wickedness, and take his rightful place as King of kings and Lord of lords. Why? Because he is the Lamb that was slain. Hallelujah. And by his blood he has redeemed us from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. It is finished. It is finished. It is on the basis of the finished work of the cross that we have immunity and authority to disarm the enemy and overcome the accuser. It is on the basis of the finished work of the cross the lips of every believer de declares, I'm forgiven. I'm free from condemnation. I'm free from guilt and shame. I am a new creation. The old nature died. The new nature has come alive. I am righteous by nature, holy, blameless before the eyes of God. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have eternal life. Freedom from the power of sin is mine. Freedom from every curse is mine. Freedom from the fear of punishment is mine. Freedom to enter into God's presence is mine. Freedom to overcome sin is mine. Freedom to live for God is mine. Freedom to change and be transformed is mine. Deliverance from oppression, addiction, hopelessness, 
hopelessness and fear is mine. Healing from every sickness and disease is mine. It is finished. It is finished. Hallelujah. It was on the basis of the finished work of the cross that Jesus, hallelujah, he was wounded for our transgressions, pierced through, pierced through. We're going to talk about this more next week. I want to talk about the blood of the covenant. Hallelujah. Because we as citizens of the kingdom, we live in the plunder of our king's finished work. Hallelujah. 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 And we live in a kingdom in which there has been a new covenant established in his blood. That blood carries all of the properties of a finished work. All of the powers of a finished work. It is finished, completed, accomplished, done. Hallelujah. And we by faith are called to live in his rest, in the abundance of his finished work. Now, let me just talk to you just for a couple minutes here. I want to talk to you about what you already know, but I want you to give, give you permission in some areas that you might be uncertain. So, on the basis of this finished work, I as a new believer came and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I gave him my life. Okay, my, my commitment to him was, I'm going to fail, you forgive me. I'll get back up on my feet, that's the deal. That, that actually was the literal kind of words that was, okay? As I said, I, I, I know I can't live for you, so here's the deal. I didn't realize he had already made the deal. Hallelujah. So, I know I'm going to fail, but I will ask for forgiveness, turn back to you, you lift me back up, I'll stand on my feet, and I'll live for you. And I will live on the basis of your mercy and your grace. That's how I live. So I came to him. But as I began to serve God, I found that there were all kinds of areas in me, now that my conscience was awakened to God, my, his spirit was living in me, I was aware of all kinds of areas of failure in me, all kinds of areas of sin. I was much more aware of the guilt and the shame of those in my life, and I struggled with that. And my heart was open. My heart was soft towards God. I wanted to live for him. It was really true. He took the stony heart out and gave me a heart of flesh, and I wanted to live for him. But now my soft heart before God is, and tenderness before God, I'm now, being, I'm now being afflicted with feelings of guilt and shame over the areas of failure that was in my life, and I didn't know how to deal with it. And so I would struggle with it, and I come and I'd repent and i ask God to forgive me and i repent and i ask God to forgive me and finally the Holy Spirit said, it's finished. You are blameless in my sight. The blood of my Son has covered all of your guilt and all of your shame. So now I needed to begin to stand in the place of holiness and blamelessness in His sight a finished work, and declare it was mine. But that did not mean that immediately the feelings of guilt and shame and victory over sin was mine. I had to lay claim to it, even though it felt to me like all of the evidence was against this, that God must be able to see my guilt and my shame better than I could, so He should actually 
be somehow looking at me as though I'm guilty, but his word says no. His word says I stand holy and blameless in his sight. So I had to lay claim to something I didn't feel. And I had to lay claim to something that it seemed like I had evidence against. But as I began to claim it and stand in it, the power of what was finished at the cross became my reality. It became my reality. As I began to serve him, as I began to live for him, and I began to move forward in that, I'm starting to grow, but I'm seeing areas of failure still in my life. And I'm not living so much in the, the guilt and the shame, but somehow I'm, I'm still beating myself. I'm still beating myself. I'm still, it feels like if I'm actually going to repent, I need to beat myself for at least three days on my way back. God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then God said to me, no, it's finished. He took all the beating on the cross for you. So when you come to me and you know that you have sinned, I want you to receive immediately by faith the forgiveness, the cleansing that's yours, and I want you to come immediately into my presence and rejoice that you belong to me. Rejoice that because of my blood, you can enter into my presence. Rejoice, hallelujah, that because my son died to justify you, I'm not against you, I'm for you. And what it did as I began to walk through that was I began to recognize that this thing inside of me which was turning against me to beat me was actually the longing of my new desire to be holy. And he began to say, Bob, that voice condemning you is not me. That voice is you, but it's actually not condemning. It's the longing in you. So why don't you put your faith in the finished work and believe that the longing of your heart to be holy is fulfilled by the power of my cross? Okay, that didn't happen immediately, though, because I kept, you know, I'd fail, and I'd start to go into this. Well, I deserve this. Oh, you must be angry with... No, I had to take the reality of the finished work and apply it against that habit that I had of condemning myself. But then as I'm serving God, moving along, I'm coming to areas where instead of being able to overcome, I keep falling into the same patterns of sin. And I keep crying out to God, I'm not condemning myself, I'm not feeling good, but I can't seem to overcome, I can't seem to overcome. God, I'm bound, God, God, I'm enslaved to this, God, I'm addicted to this, God, I can't get free from this. And God said to me, stop. It took a process, it took a long time to get through to me. He said to me, Bob, you are not bound, you are free. It is finished. The evidence in my life is I'm continuing to sin. I'm struggling with sin. I'm falling into defeat. The evidence is against you, God. And God says, so what for your evidence? The cross denies your evidence. The cross declares that you are free. Your old nature, your sin nature was nailed to that cross. You have a new nature now. You belong to me and you are free. I want you to declare, in spite of the evidence in front of you, that you are free. Now I want you to know that standing in the face of an area of sin in your life, hallelujah, and declaring I am free, 
does something to separate your identity from that thing. You are no longer me. That behavior is no longer me. That, that is not me. That is who I used to be. Those are habits based on what I used to be. But I am no longer that person. Because of the finished work of the cross, I am free. And so I had to take the finished work of the cross, and in spite of the evidence staring me in the face, I had to do warfare by thanking Him and praising Him, and worshiping Him and adoring Him, that I am free. You got that? Are you resonating with me? All right, here's the next one. I'm dealing with sickness and infirmity in my body, and the evidence is saying to me, you are sick, you are carrying infirmity, this identifies you, it defines you, it limits you. But the Holy Spirit says, no. On that cross, He not only bore your sin, but He bore your sickness. And Bob, even though the evidence is staring you in the face, in the same way you have overcome every other area in your life through the power of my finished work, you need to learn how to stand and declare, I am healed in spite of the evidence. I am healed. I am healed. So the sickness and infirmity that's manifesting itself in my body, just like the areas of sin that were manifesting themselves in my body, have no right or authority to be here. Why? Because it's finished. It's finished. That's why I say to people, if you take away from me the finished work of the cross regarding healing, and you say, I cannot declare that I am healed because the evidence is against it, then you are taking away every place that I have stood for victory in my life. Because my victory is not based on evidence or experience. My victory is based on the finished work. And I choose to live under that covenant and under that victory, because I belong to His kingdom. Are you with me? Hallelujah. 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 I think we'll stop there for today. That's good. Hallelujah. 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 So don't you let anybody cause you to be ashamed or cause, start to argue and rationalize away. Every victory in your life. And just, I, I'm gonna, just going to throw something out to you for extra. This doesn't have to do with healing, and yet it is going to lead to healing in my life. I absolutely know that it will. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 that the accuser of the brethren was cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of your testimony, and love not your life unto death. The accuser accuses day and night. Day and night. So this is, I'm just throwing this out. I haven't gone through all the scripture. I'm just throwing it out for extra because I'm starting to walk in it. But what he said to me was, your accuser is accusing you day and night. And in your mind, you don't understand. But there is this sub-level of thinking, which is the voice of the accuser. And it's always there. I'm worshiping him, praising him. There's a sub-level that says, you're not sincere enough. You're not doing enough in your life to prove that you actually love him. I'm worshiping him and praising him, and there's a sub-level. 
you're just doing this for show. All kinds of, any, anybody, am I the only person going crazy here? Anybody else living in this realm? I'm stepping forward and he's saying, you haven't, you haven't prayed enough to be able to step forward in, in, in obedience to that. It's a sub-level. It's always accusing. It's always accusing. It's always accusing and slandering God. God's not going to be there for you. God's not going to stand. Always, always doing it. Hallelujah. And God says, that deceiver was defeated. So that every lie has a basis that denies the finished work of the cross. If you will learn how to stand in the finished work of the cross, and what has been accomplished for you there. This is what you can actually do, Bob. You can take that sublevel, that sublevel thinking, and turn it right around. Because when any negative voice comes in at you, it didn't come from your heavenly Father, so it came from hell. So I am now going to claim the opposite. Hallelujah. You start, you start accusing me of not being sincere? Hallelujah. I thank you, God. The reason why he's doing that is sincerity is important to me. There's no use accusing me of anything that doesn't have value to me. So when he's accusing me and he's speaking negative to me, he's actually pointing out the very longings of my heart and the very fulfillments that are in heaven waiting for me. Hallelujah. God, I thank you. I thank you and praise you. Hallelujah that my life is sincerely seeking after you. And you see that sincerity and you're going to reward. I've learned to turn absolutely every negative sub-level thinking, hallelujah, into a promise into a promise, into an encouragement, into a declaration, into a gift from heaven. Because whatever the enemy is, is a t- the only reason he's coming at you, the only reason he's coming at you at that level is to create a sense of doubt, a sense of uncertainty, a sense of inferiority, a sense of, you know, okay, just that negative sense that's there, to rob you from stepping forward into the fullness of the finished work of the cross. And we overcome him. I want you to stand today. Hallelujah. 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 Right now, healing, healing, is, healing is coming into this place. I understand that part of, me, part of my just releasing the words in this house is bringing an increase of the knowledge of his glory and an advancement of his kingdom. I know what my assignment is. So when I preach, I'm actually, I'm not preaching at all for your information. I'm really not. I am declaring, I am declaring something which is breaking through for us. It's breaking through for us. Healing is increasing in this house. Faith for healing and manifestations of healing are increasing in this house. Hallelujah. It's just happening. Hallelujah. And today, right now, as I'm just, I'm just here talking, okay, you can just reach up and take it. It's yours. Just in the name of Jesus, you can just reach in and take it. It's yours. Whatever is needed. Hallelujah. No matter how long you've been with, with it, it's just here in the house. Hallelujah. And you can just reach up and take it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can just reach up and take it. Hallelujah. You can just reach up and take it. It's yours. There's healing in the house. There's healing in the house. There's healing at all kinds of different levels. It's just not physical healing that's happening in this house. There's healing in the house today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But this is what I sense God saying, and I'm going to declare it over you. That God today is healing your eyes.
Hallelujah. Today, God is healing your eyes. Now, if that's a physical need that you have, you take it. Okay, but God is healing your eyes. Hallelujah. You are going to begin to see like you've never seen before. You're going to begin to see what you were blinded to regarding the finished work of the cross, regarding the abundance that is yours in Christ, regarding the kingdom of heaven. You're going to see it. It is your inheritance to see the realm of the kingdom. It is your inheritance to see what is yours so you can go in and take it. If you can't see it, you can't by faith go in and take it. But once you see it, you're going to by faith go in and take it. It is yours to take. And so today in the name of Jesus, I declare healing to the eyes. Hallelujah. I declare healing to the eyes that this place will have vision to see. Hallelujah. Vision to see into the realm. And you see, you will see, you will see, you will see in a way that gives you certainty and confidence that it is yours and you can take it by faith. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. It is now sealed, finished, done. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just feel to be available to pray for anybody that needs prayer. I don't know what that is, but you're dismissed. God bless you.